Welcome to the I Get It Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is a very special bonus episode where we are having the opportunity to talk with Miss Brianna Spain. This week is actually Infertility Awareness Week. And for so many of us that aren't experiencing infertility or never have, we aren't aware of what that is like. We don't get it. And so part of this podcast, something that I really wanted to do from the beginning is to bring on other people who are experiencing all different parts of life to help us as women relate, support, and understand each other. I really think that it is so important that we come alongside of all different types of women experiencing different things and lift each other up and love on each other. And so that is one of my goals with this podcast. Um, I have researched some and know so many women who have walked through the infertility journey and I cannot begin to imagine the pain and ache that they feel. Um, I think it is every woman's that wants to be a mom, worst fear. I know that it was a huge fear of mine prior to having kids. And um, I oftentimes don't know the right thing to say or how to support women um, because it is a journey that I have not experienced. So I thought that with interviewing Brianna, who is currently walking through her journey would help me to understand and and help other women to know how we can support other women and um yeah i I saw that 10 to 11 percent of women experience infertility and nine percent of men experience it so there is a great chance and and actually i would say that this does apply to every woman listening because If you don't think you know someone who's experiencing it, it's probably just because they haven't told you that they're experiencing it. It is such a private situation. It's something that a lot of women don't share with other people because of the pain that they're experiencing and they feel alone. And and I feel like there's also an element of shame to it because you, it's something about you that you cannot change. And that, that is where the shame comes in, even though it is something that, I wish that I could erase all of that for women. I don't, I don't think that we should experience shame in our lives, but um, that is just the truth of the matter. And so I think that for women who are walking through it, once you're in it, you can find your group of people that you can talk to about it and that understand, but it's not something you open up to everyone. So for the rest of us, we don't understand the magnitude of it. We don't understand how much it is affecting those of us around, those around us and how prevalent it is for women. And so Brianna, first I want to say thank you so much for being here and stepping into such a vulnerable space to share your story and to help us, you know, help the other women understand and champion our friends, our family that are, that are walking through this season of life. Um, so thank you for being here. And, um, and I know that it's not difficult. It's not an easy thing to share for sure. Um, I've already warned Brianna that I cry (laughs) pretty much every time I talk about motherhood. Um, It is something very emotional for me. I cry when my friends tell me they're pregnant. I cry when I talk about being a mom. So just, this is your warning to everyone out there. I will more than likely shed some tears and I'm not going to apologize for it. It's a very emotional topic for sure. And um, so yeah, we're just going to jump in. Is that, are you good? Yep. You're like, I'm as good as I will be. Um, so Brianna, tell me just briefly about yourself, um, how long you've been married and when you decided to start trying to have a baby. So my name is Brianna Spain. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I'm 25 and me and my husband got married in August of 2017. So we have been married about two and a half years and we started to try, um, to conceive in November of 2018. So we had been married just over a year. Um, and so we've been trying for about a year and a half too. Okay. And, um, at what point did you realize or think, 
there's something that may not be working the way it, it you think it should be. Um, so my sister had problems getting pregnant. So that's just my big, I mean, I always suspected it. Um, it was kind of one of those things that's like, it's very, it could definitely come true. It's very real. But also I was just like, it won't, it won't happen to me. Like it was a fear, but I still like hope it wouldn't happen. Um, so that's like the biggest, um, I'm a nurse and I can't think of the nurse word, but, um, that's like the biggest like if your sister or your mother have it, then you're very likely to have it as well. Um, so my diagnosis is stage four endometriosis, which is the same as my sister's and my, um, aunt on my dad's side, your dad's side, you inherit more things from. Okay. That's interesting to know. I did not know that. Um, and I know you, so you've been struggling with this for a year and a half and, um, what, what were your next steps? Like once you realized, okay, things, I, I feel like I should be pregnant at this point. We've been trying. What did you do after that? What did that look like for you? So technically you're supposed to try for a year, which is insane to me. Um, but you're supposed to try for 12 months before you go to the doctor because it could take up to a year. Um, but with my sister having endometriosis and all that at six months, I called my OBGYN and made an appointment and, um, Mostly to describe those appointments, um, vaginal ultrasounds, <laughs> lots yeah. of them. Yeah. And my um, best friend, Kelsey, is a sonographer. And um, she told me that some people who have a baby, like their first vaginal ultrasound is when they're pregnant, which is like mind blowing because I've had like a billion and one. Um, so that's crazy to me. But yes, so lots of just like questions and talking, um, lots of semen analysis for my husband, which is super awkward. Um, and long story short, I had surgery. Um, that's the only way to diagnose endometriosis. Wow. And um, it's very, dis, um, it's a misdiagnosis. A lot of times it takes that on average seven years to get the right diagnosis. Like I've been diagnosed with IBS and other things. And um, it's really just all endometriosis. So painful periods are normal, but super painful periods aren't as normal. Um, if it's your normal, then it's hard to know that that's not normal. So that would be the hardest thing about getting diagnosed. Yeah, that is crazy to me that it would take seven years to diagnose something. That's really insane. Um, and so how has, so this has now been going on for a year and a half for you. Um, how long ago were you diagnosed? So we started trying November of 2018 and I wasn't diagnosed um, until October of 2019. Okay. So I haven't, I haven't had it very well. I've had okay. it forever, but I didn't right. know about it until October. Right. Okay. Um, and how, what does that look like now in your daily life? How, how has this journey affected your, your day to day? So um, I'm already kind of an anxious person if my friends are listening, they're like, kind of really. But, um, I would say now that I know that I have endometriosis, it at least makes sense. Um, before I was just kind of looking for an answer. And so I got the answer, even though it wasn't what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's not so much wondering now. Um, yeah. it was, it killed me not to know why it wasn't happening. Um, so, and it also is helpful now because I have pain and I know why. Um, whereas before I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so that's super helpful, but, um, yeah, every day's hard. Some days are harder. Some days are easier. Yeah. And how about, um, just even the, the process of infertility, you know, I, I know that something that I don't recognize, you know, I, I obviously think that it would be triggering to be around people with kids, you know, and every pregnancy announcement and every time you, you see the new baby or, you know, get online and see kids everywhere that, that those things would be painful to you. Um, but I know that for you, it, it, it goes deeper than that. You know, this has changed so many aspects of your life. And so how has, how does infertility affect women more than just 
those triggers with the pregnancy announcements. Can you, can you give me some insight on that so I could understand? So my case I feel like is um, different just because I was a mother baby nurse um, slash postpartum nurse for two years and um, I loved it so much. I love my patients. It was the best job I've had. Um, I, my, my last few weeks there, I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, just seeing people come in that just didn't care anything about their babies or did drugs while they were pregnant. Um, it was just hard for me because I was always very sympathetic to those people. I don't know if sympathetic or empathetic is the right word, but I just really, um, I really like cared about those patients and a lot of nurses, um, would be like, well, that's what they get. Like, this is, you know, that's, that was their choice. And I was just always like, but they're still your patient and you have to advocate for them. And it doesn't matter what they've done, if they're a murderer or if they did drugs while pregnant, it doesn't matter. Um, and so at the end, it just, I didn't have that same insight and I didn't feel like it was fair to those women. Um, so I just had to distance myself from that. Um, which makes me sad because I love that job, but maybe one day I can do it again. Yeah, for sure. Because um, I think that that is something that is is overlooked by many of us. That that infertility it it affects you so much more than just those moments. You know, this is kind of a it has affected every aspect of your life. You know, you've changed jobs, and it's it's a struggle. That so right now we're experiencing coronavirus. We're still in the midst of the pandemic, and I know we were talking previously about how you were functioning before the pandemic every day just to help yourself cope through the days. And I think that that's something that I never really thought about that you have to cope moment to moment and not just in those triggering moments. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So before um, quarantine, I had three jobs and I volunteered at church. Um, another week I went to church all day on Sunday. I had Bible study on Monday nights. I went to a spin class at the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So literally I would like work as a nurse, leave, go with tables. Um, I stay with my aunt as a caregiver for her. Um, so I literally had a jam packed schedule and I was tired, but I was doing well, uh, like mentally and emotionally. Um, and so literally that's all come to a halt. So I have no jobs instead of three. I can't go to church. I can't go to the gym. I can't do anything but sit and, you know, embrace the quietness. Um, another hard thing is I have friends that have babies. Actually, like every single friend I have has babies. Um, and so I know people probably would think that would be triggering, but it's, actually super helpful. Um, so not being around my friends and their babies is hard too. That's really interesting for you to say that because I have known other women that are kind of on both sides of the scale that are dealing with infertility. And a few of them, like I see them post constantly with their friends, kids, and they just love them in a very, very deep way. And I don't know, like it gives me hope. I don't, I don't know why it affects me, but it just, it makes me feel joy that to see other women love other women's kids, even though I know that there's pain in their, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think there's something really beautiful about see witnessing that. Um, but I can't imagine still the pain that goes into it, you know? Um, yeah, I know people who um, are going through infertility and it's really hard for them to be around their friends, kids, and they can't even handle it at all. And um, for me, my friend Kelsey, she lets us, um, um, my friend Kelsey, she lets us come over and like watch her baby while they go on date night and we get to um, feed her and we get to give her a bath and we get to put her to bed and read her bedtime stories. And so while it's kind of painful because obviously we wish that we did that every day, it's also like helping, like, because we do have the peace that we'll have a baby no matter what somehow. Um, and then another friend, Megan, she has a newborn right now and 
like just a few weeks ago, we went over there and got to, you know, bathe her newborn. And like, I get to teach my husband how to swaddle and practice. And so, um, really before Logan was born, um, our friend Kelsey's baby, Jordan, like wouldn't even touch a baby cause he was so nervous. And now he's just like slinging them around like us, like the nurses do. So it's really awesome. Um, and I got to wear my first baby, uh, not too long ago, my friend let me wear her baby. So that was like, made my day. I worked probably for like seven hours. So that's awesome. That is awesome. I love that so much. Um, and I know for them too, to have someone who, to have someone love your children, like that just means the world, you know? And so for, for them to have you there experiencing that I know brings them crazy amounts of joy, you know, more than just the, the normal friend, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I had never thought about, you know, you talking about you just staying busy. You stacked your schedule every single moment so to kind of distract yourself from what you're experiencing. And, and that's something that I had never really thought about for women that infertility does. It affects every moment of your day. You know, you're constantly having to go from one thing to the next. So you can just work against that pain and that emptiness that you're feeling. Um, and then right now with this pandemic that we are in, you know, everything has come to a halt from you. So you're having to walk through it in such a different way than you were before. And, um, that it gives me so much, again, empathy or sympathy, whatever the, the right word is, you know, for women everywhere. Um, so thank you for that insight. You know, I, I feel like that opens up our minds in such a different way than it, than it has before. Um, and I would imagine if not all women who are struggling with this are married, um, the majority of them would be, how, how is this affecting that relationship? You know, y'all been married now for three years three-ish? Um, no, two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Um, how, how are y'all together as a couple working through this? Um, last night when I was talking to my husband about these questions, my answer to this question was milkshakes, lots of milkshakes. Okay. okay. Milkshakes. Um, also, you know, we've gained who knows how much weight during this, uh, but yeah, all jokes aside, I, last year I lost 20 pounds. This year I gained it all back. So stress eating is what I've been doing. Um, I would say like some days I have hard days. Some days he has hard days. Um, I think that's just a marriage in general. And, um, I do think that men are at a disadvantage that are going through this because, um, I mean, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, but I feel like the man struggles more because they can't like be as vocal um or they can but like my husband doesn't show emotion much um and I'm a huge crier so it's like I can cry every single day and that's not weird and he never cries um so definitely it's changed when we first started going through it he was very positive like you know we'll get pregnant next month it's okay and I think he was still disappointed but he was able to like fake it for me and now um, especially with going to our appointment and here in IVF within the first five minutes with our fertility doctor, um, seeing him actually show his emotion about it is hard for me. So I know that he tries to hold back. Um, but it is devastating whenever he does show me his true emotion, which I appreciate, but it is like, I used to kind of get mad and think like, he doesn't care. He's not even upset. Mm. And now I'm like, I just wish he could go back to that, which isn't fair because he should be allowed to feel that too. Um, I definitely have more hard days. I feel like than he does just because it's my body and, um, I'm on hormones. I'm in menopause right now from my medicine, um, have estrogen patches. So that alone messes with your emotions. So, um, but yes, it affects us both big time. For sure. I think that is also something that we forget, you know, cause we do tend to focus when we are aware of infertility, we do tend to think about the woman, you know, and what she's experiencing and have sympathy for her. But we do forget that about the man, you know, and that we need to view infertility as a couple, you know, it's, it's for the couple and not just a female 
issue um, or a female pain, but it is truly a pain that a couple is going through. And I know if you feel comfortable mentioning this, that one of the ways that you are working through is you're seeing a counselor, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. to a counselor and, and I'm sure that that is helping not just you, but it is helping the two of you together to cope through it. So is that anything, is there anything you want to say to that? Um, I think that going to a counselor when you're going through infertility is helpful because you feel so much guilt. You feel guilty. Um, like you are jealous of like everybody around you and then you feel guilty for being jealous. And so going to a counselor, uh, my counselor has like really, you know, pushed and told me like, you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be disappointed. Um, like, I tend to beat myself up and I think that most people do. Um, so it's nice to just hear like you're allowed to feel the way you feel. Yeah, for sure. That's really important. Um, and I know you had just mentioned that you are currently going through menopause. You're on medication because you have gone through the IVF route currently, um, for your infertility. And can you tell me just a little bit about what IVF the process looks like the expense? just tell me just a little bit for people who have no idea what IVF is or, or does. So um, we have had two failed IUIs and that's where they take the sperm and put it in the uterus, like right where it's supposed to be. Um, they just threw a catheter up into your cervix. Sorry, I sound like a nurse, but, um, but IVF is where they take your eggs out and they put it in the Petri dish, like the science experiment. So that's the difference. Um, because honestly, I didn't even know the difference until I went through it. And I am a nurse and I was an OB nurse. So, um, the total for IVF, if you just did like one transfer and one egg retrieval is around 10,000. Um, then you add on everyone's different. Some people do, um, fresh transfers. Some people do frozen, um, to do genetic testing. You have to do frozen so that they can send them off for genetic testing. And with genetic testing, you're not trying to like weave out like down syndrome or anything like that. But most, um, most genetic disorders are not compatible with life. So they just want to make sure that, you know, you're going to have a baby at the end of the process. And so, um, that's $4,000. And then, um, you can do like a risk risk sharing package. Um, so we paid for two egg retrievals, two transfers, and that is around um, 17,000 total, including genetic testing. And then um, meds are about three to 6,000. So in total, it's about 25,000. Yeah. And you are, you'll do shots every day. You're doing hormones right now. I mean, how long does this process take from you decided to do IVF to hopefully you'll get a positive test. So um, we had our first fertility appointment in December. We had our first IUI the next day. (laughs) We just winged it. Didn't work. Um, So we tried one more IUI and then he completely left it up to us. He told us very first thing, like you're going to have to do IVF, but mentally and emotionally and monetarily, like you have to pay that money up front. And so like, there's no payment plan option. So like you have to prepare for IVF. And so we only did two IUIs because it was just so disappointing whenever they failed. Like it was just so hard. Um, cause you think that you put medicine in the mix and you're like, Oh, it's going to work now. Yeah. And yeah. especially the nurse and me, I'm like, Oh, the medicine's going to fix me. Mm. Um, so we decided we were going to do IVF in, I guess, February. And so, um, my doctor, so you have to pay a month in advance. And so we had missed the next egg retrieval. Um, so I had a surgery planned last week. They got canceled because of coronavirus. Um, so I started these menopause meds early and then, um, hopefully we don't really know right now because of everything going on, but hopefully egg retrieval will be the first week of June and I'll start injections for that May 21st. And you do injections, um, for like two weeks. And then um, egg retrieval, you get put to sleep. It's like a real surgery. Um, And then you have to wait like a month for the um, embryos to get genetic testing. And then you have transfer. So even if everything goes how it's supposed to go, um, if I'm allowed to just, you know, pass over surgery and just go straight into it, which is what I'm hoping for, um, 
we decided in February and we won't have transfer till July. So it'll be like August before I even know if okay. I'm pregnant. Um, okay. So very long, drawn out, not good for someone who like wings everything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want it done yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's totally understandable. And I think a lot of people are curious into that decision of why IVF, you know, what, what is something that drew you to IVF versus adoption or versus, you know, the end goal is to be a mom, you know, for sure. So, um, what, what was it about IVF that made you be like, okay, let's try that. So, um, it pretty much just boils down to, I think I would always wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about, or like as a kid and as well, as a kid for me, but you just always like dream of who your husband will be. And like, then you dream of like what your kids would look like. And especially like when you first start dating someone, like I was infatuated with Jordan when we met. And so it's like, you just, you just start picturing all of those things. Like he has blue eyes and I have green eyes. So I'm like, yes, our kids won't have brown eyes, which there's nothing wrong with brown eyes, but I love green eyes. And so it's like just little things like that. Um, that really just make you want to have, um, your own baby. And I even hesitate to say own because I know once you adopt a baby, it's pretty much For sure. the same. Yep. Um, but also just being an OB nurse and I've seen so many babies be born. Um, I have helped, I mean, I don't know, thousands probably, yeah. uh, of patients postpartum, uh, get to take care of them and get to bathe their newborns. And so, um, that piece of it is like, blows my mind every time to watch a baby be born. And I just, I want to go through that. Um, we have paid for two transfers. So if they both fail, we've already, um, you know, we're not going to pay for anymore. We're going to adopt because the Bible does tell tell us that, um, to care for orphans. So I do definitely, I think that we'll adopt either way. Um, and I, I know I'll be devastated if IVF fails. I know that. Um, but also I know that, um, I'll be a mom somehow. So if it's third option, then that's fine. Yeah. And I think that there are, there are two things that I thought as you were talking about that. And, um, one, you know, you have this idea of what your baby is going to look like. And I think that a lot of people automatically have a judgment about IVF. You know, a lot of people automatically, they're like, obviously that's not God's will. You shouldn't do that. Don't mess with medicine. You know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that other women who haven't experienced this could relate in the fact I know women who ended up having to have a C-section versus vaginal. And after that C-section, they mourn the fact that they didn't get to experience vaginal childbirth. And, um, and a lot of people could look at them and be like, well, at least you got to have a baby and that's understandable. But I think anytime there's an experience that you have that desire to experience and you don't get to, if there is a way for you to experience that, to take advantage of it, you know, don't close that door immediately. So what I'm saying that to say that there should be no judgment there, you know, like there is amazing medicine available that if you can gain that experience, if you can have a baby through medicine. I think that is a miracle. I think that is a beautiful creation and there is no difference in that and someone taking chemo to cure their cancer, you know, and, um, and having a VBAC to experience vaginal versus C-section. And, um, so I, I just, I'm saying that to cut down any preconceived judgments that people have for IVF. And I think that is really incredible that we have been given this medicine that has allows it to happen. And then two, talking about, um, adoption, you know, in that comparison, you know, I've had a friend who was able to have to get pregnant fairly easily the first time and then had unexplained secondary infertility. And that is something that a lot of people do not talk about is secondary infertility. Um, and cause it, it really doesn't make sense. You've already had one. Why? And, and that pain is just, I can truly say seeing her walk through that is in, in unbearable, you know, cause you still want that baby. You still know what your family is supposed to look like. And, and she was able to adopt her second baby. And, you know, she, she has told me that the moment that baby was in her arms, there was no difference from that moment to the moment her 
son was laid on her chest after delivering him. And, and I think that is just such a beautiful picture of motherhood, you know, that it doesn't matter if you have sex with someone one time, get pregnant and have a baby. If you have infertility and the doctors put a baby inside of you, or if you adopt and another person hands you the baby that they they created, that motherhood goes so much deeper than how that child gets there. It is truly like what our hearts do, you know, and, and how that heart change happens. So I think that is such a beautiful thought for women everywhere that however your baby came to you, we should all be supporting each other in that and not judging any type of way that it came. So I just want to speak to that, that I don't know. I think infertility, uh, or I'm sorry, I think IVF is just as much a miracle as that one time knock up that people have. So I don't know if that was okay to say, but I just said it, um, or if that makes sense. Um, and so I wanted to talk also about triggers, you know, some of the things because so I'm in conversation with a woman, you know, I, I go and I, I meet someone new and motherhood is such a bonding conversation that people have. And, but I also know that it is difficult for people to ask, do you have any kids? And so are there certain times that it's okay to ask that question? Are there certain ways that people could ask and it not, it will always be a trigger, but not be as painful um, what, what is the way that that conversation can look like? Or is there a time that people just shouldn't ask it at all? Um, do you want to speak into that? Um, so the reason it's hard for me to answer is because I don't feel like there's a way that you could say that to someone and it not be hurtful. Um, and I think that you kind of like train your brain when you're going through infertility that like everyone is not out to offend you, mm -hmm. um, but you're emotional and you, you know, you have this deep desire. And so, you know, I mean, I really don't think there is a way that cannot be offensive. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really yeah. answer that question because it, I mean, I, and it's not even that it's offensive um, yeah. necessarily. It's just hurtful to have to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. So I think for every woman there, you all have your different struggles of what fears you have or, or what your daily battle is. You know, what is something for you that you have to kind of overcome mentally um, a lot that, that a lot of people may not think about or know that the women that are struggling deal with? Um, the hardest part for me, uh, it might be the nurse in me being an OB nurse, but, um, I just have seen so many things happen. Um, I've taken care of people who've had miscarriages at six weeks, people who have had, uh, miscarriages at 22 weeks and had to deliver their baby. Um, or I've, I've carried stillborn babies to the morgue, um, in my arms. And, um, I've seen you know, Nikki moms fall out in the floor because their baby didn't make it. And so I think the hardest thing for me, um, is that I can't get to the first step. Like mm -hmm. I just, I can't even get pregnant. And then I know so much can happen once I do get pregnant or even, I mean, that goes on forever. Something could happen to your kid anytime. So I know that's a fear I'll always struggle with. Um, but that's probably the hardest thing for me every single day is just not beating myself up and to not tell myself, you know, you can't even get to the first step and there's so many other things that can happen. I feel like that's a lie that Satan has put in my head. Mm. Um, so I really try to like combat that lie and say like, you know, God knows what he's doing. He knew I was going to go through this. He has all my days in his book. Like I had a friend told me one time, um, God already knows the amount of hairs that'll be on your baby's head. And I just, I love that. Um, so I would definitely say that's the hardest thing. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I think that fear Fear in motherhood happens even before your baby comes. You know, I, th I think that just shows the depth of what motherhood is for people. You know, it's, it's more than losing your job or, or, you know, having a fear that you'll have cancer or some kind of injury. Like 
the fear of, of how that child changes you starts long before that child is even present in your arms. You know, I, I just think that speaks to what the depths of motherhood are. And you cannot understand that unless you are planning to become a mom or already are, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I have a friend who is struggling currently with infertility and she already refers to herself as a mom, you know? And I think that that is so beautiful. You know, you, you are a mom, you already have the mother instincts in your head you're just waiting for that, that tiny creature to be in your arms, you know? And, and so motherhood, it is in our DNA, you know, it, it just runs through us as women so deeply. So I think that just speaks volumes about the process as a whole, you know, for, for all women, you know, we, we all experience those types of fears, but that added level of like having to get to step one, I just, I can't, I, I, I don't get it. You know, I don't understand what that, what that fear feels like. Um, yeah. It's kind of weird because like you're taught morals, obviously from young age and I have always gone to church. Um, and so like you have these things that you decide you're going to do, um, either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And then, you know, you have a driving factor and obviously I always want to do things that I think that, you know, are the, you know, godly thing to do. But, um, even like as a teenager, I made decisions for my future kids so mm. that I could say your mom was in high school and I never drank not yeah. one sip until, mm. you know, I was older and, you know, I have only had sex with your dad. I mean, not many, you know, I don't know. I'm experiencing it now with my niece. She's 10 and you know, she always wants to say, well, everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I just really wanted to set an example for my kids that I don't even know yet. And, yes. um, but like, it's just crazy that that's how I've always thought. Um, like I literally started babysitting when I was 11. Like I've always been so obsessed with kids. Like I'm always called the baby hog always. Like, it's just something that it's like a part of me for sure. Um, yeah, that I relate to that very heavily. I, um, I had those exact same thoughts in high school, you know, and in college and literally like I relate to that so much. Motherhood starts so much earlier than that baby being here. You know, that is such a, a valid point. And I think that that also just shows why infertility goes so much deeper than just not having a baby because you are a mom long, long before that baby is here. So also, um, just for things that like a lot of things I don't want to tell my husband because I feel like I sound crazy and it's always worse if I hold it back and then I end up like losing it. But um, just the other day, I finally like worked up the courage to tell him that I wanted a Mother's Day gift. And I know that's crazy, but I just think that like, I just think I beat myself up too much about the thoughts that I have. And so like, I'm like, I should be a mom by now. And like, I'm going to be a mom. Like I'm right there. Like I'm so close. And so like, I was like, I don't want like a gift, just like a random gift. Um, I was like, but I want one that like has to do with like motherhood. And I'm sure he was thinking like, you're crazy. Cause I mean, guys don't think the same as women, but like it has killed me because I know how much it hurt last mother's day when we had only been trying for like five months. And now we've been trying for over a year and a half. And like, I just dread it. Like I dread seeing all the posts on Facebook for mother's day. I dread you know, being at church and seeing all the moms get roses, like I dread it. Um, and so I just feel like husbands, if you're listening, go get your wife a gift for Mother's Day, even if she's not a mom yet. Yes. Um, just because, I mean, that's something like crazy and silly and someone who's not going through it would probably never think of that. But like the thought of that I don't get to celebrate Mother's Day just like kills me. Yeah. Yeah. And my, that same friend, she, her husband got her a Mother's Day present last year. And I can remember seeing that and thinking that it was so beautiful. And it is something that I would never to think about. Um, but I know, I know someone who makes, which I will also put this in the show notes, makes necklaces for, for moms that are going through infertility that are not about that specifically, but it's a symbol or something like that. There are things out there for, for moms that unite them together. Um, yeah. Because you, you're already thinking like a mom, you know, you've been thinking about them like a mom for a long time. So I don't think that's silly. And it goes back to 
tell your husbands what you need. You know, by, by yes. you telling him you are saving him from disappointment, you know, and, and all of that. So that is a huge thing for everybody. Speak what you need to each other because you will never know what the other person needs. And then it just, it helps the whole, it helps everybody, you know? So I think that was very brave and very beautiful um, that you told him that and a sign of maturity in your marriage for sure. Um, when we can just be like, this is what I need from you. Thank you. Yeah. And it doesn't make it count any less, you know, it definitely doesn't. Um, so that's really great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What is something you would want women to know that aren't going through infertility? How can they support their friends that are experiencing it or their family or, or whoever the women in their lives that are, how could women come alongside you and support you in this? Um, so like a few things that people have done that have like meant a lot and they weren't a huge thing. Um, but just someone texted me yesterday, my sister-in-law and just said like, Hey, how are you? Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds generic, but like, it's nice to just like be thought of. And, yeah. um, I wouldn't say that people always know what to say, but you can always just check in on someone. Um, and then I also have a friend that last week, um, she was just like, how are you doing during this quarantine with, um, you know, everything slowing down so much, so much more time to think. And, you know, I told her, I was like, it's really hard. Um, like we've really struggled a lot. And, um, she messaged back and said, um, no platitudes platitudes from me and like I don't even know what that means so then I had to google it um but it's basically the google definition was like um a phrase that's used too often to be thoughtful and so I was like yeah so it was just helpful to hear someone say like I don't know I don't understand mm -hmm. and that sounds like crazy but um there's so many comments that are hurtful like you know you're young Mm -hmm. Like, or just relax or it'll happen. Like it's not happening because you're stressing or just stop trying. Like all of those things are so hurtful. Um, and I understand that people don't know what to say, but you can always say like, I don't know what to say mm -hmm. and I don't understand. And I'm not going through it. Um, and that just means a lot too, because that's kind of like a thing that I feel, um, most people that are going through infertility, you know, think they're like, you know, no one understands me. And so it's like kind of validating when someone's like, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I know that probably sounds like selfish, but it really does make me feel better when someone's like, I don't understand because I think that sometimes when people give you other answers, you kind of feel like they're trying to understand and there's literally no way you could understand this unless you walked through it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, it's something I talk about on the podcast a lot, whether it's in marriage or friendships or just identity in general, that we all just want to be seen, you know, like we have an identity and, and we just don't want to be forgotten and, and we want to be seen. And that's not in like a, Hey, look at me glorified way. It's not because I need to be on a poster board, but we just want the people around us to see our hearts and, and recognize that. And so I think that is so true. Just, those simple texts for, for anyone going through a difficult season, just that, how are you thinking of you? That goes such a long way. I think that's such great advice of like, if you know your friends are struggling with infertility, it is because I think we're scared to ask, you know, we're scared to bring it up because we don't want to hurt you. You know, if we're like, Oh, maybe she's having a good day today and I don't want to bring up something that may hurt her. But the truth is you're hurting all the time. And mm -hmm. so to bring it up is not a painful thing. It's more of like, okay, they love me. It's more of an act of love of like that. How are you? You don't have to say much. You don't have to, you know, go into some elaborate thing, but just that how are you is an act of love to anyone walking through either infertility or they're grieving something difficult. Is, would you say that to be true? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Um, and, and what is something that, so that is for the, the women, those of us who are not walking through it, you know, check on your friends, text your friends, call your friends. Um, and just a simple, how are you? That's great advice. Um, and the, and what would you want to say to the women who are walking through it right now? What, what is something that you could speak 
to them? Um, I would say my best advice is um, find someone that you love and just tell them. Mm -hmm. um, I think the hardest thing is just to admit that you're struggling. Like for me, um, I'm very close with my mom and sister. Um, and I didn't want to tell them that we were struggling because I wanted to like surprise them with a pregnancy announcement. And so I think it's like super hard to want to tell people because you just want to be like spontaneous and fun with it. And, um, I really struggled during that time. I feel like, because I tried to just like go it alone. Um, and so I'm very open about it. Not, not everyone is open about it, but I would at least say if you're going through it to just reach out and at least tell someone, um, just so that they know that you're going through it. And then also I would say I have shared it on all my social media and been very vocal about it. And so many people have reached out and said they're going through it too. So, um, if you don't feel like telling anyone, just know you're not alone. I know that sounds cliche, but, um, there were probably like four girls that I was very close with and I had no idea they were going through it until I talked about it. And then they reached out to me. Um, and it's insane how much you connect with those people that are going through the same thing as you. That's like anything in life, but something as hard as this, um, there were like three girls just in my Sunday school class that were going through it too, wow. that I didn't know about. And I see them every single week, sometimes twice a week mm -hmm. at Bible study. So, um, and we've bonded and that those are people that I like never really talked to other than like, Hey, how are y'all? Mm -hmm. And so it's just really nice that I've really gained like big friendships through all yeah. of this. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I, I think that is something that it is such a private struggle, you know? And, and so, um, sharing that finding your community is so important. And I know there are a lot of resources online as well. There's a large Instagram, you know, there are a few women who have stepped up and, and have shared their struggles online. Is, is there any resources that you have for someone who's beginning this journey, um, that are struggling through it? Yeah. So, um, on Instagram, there's the infertility sisterhood that you can follow and then you can actually like join and you have a separate app that people post about and like, it will just bring you joy to have that app and just read the people's posts that are like, I mean, there's so many acronyms that people who aren't going through infertility wouldn't even know, like, you know, six DPO days past ovulation. Like no, nobody even understands that or BFN big fat, big fat negative. Like those are things that only people who are going through this understand. And so even just seeing that and seeing all these people like, you know, post about things that you're just like, no one has any idea the depth of all of this mm -hmm. and they do. So that's super helpful. Um, and then there's a Facebook page called waiting for baby bird. Um, and it's awesome. They post lots of like uplifting things. Um, and another thing that I, um, did that I feel like helped me during this was, um, Anne Voskamp's, uh, devotional, a thousand gifts. And so every day she, like encourages you to list 10 things that you're grateful for. And so, um, I mean, there would be days that I would just lay in bed and think like nothing, I have nothing. Mm. <laughs> like, and I mean, really, and, um, her main point of the devotional is that it doesn't have to be anything big. Um, and so like literally one day I was just laying there like feeling sorry for myself. And I just put like that the fan makes noise that I was thankful for that. Cause like, that was like, I was like, that's it. That's all I can get. Mm. And so I just, even though it's still like a dark time, it'll, it'll make you look for things to be mm. thankful for. Um, so I would definitely encourage anyone to get that. There's a book, there's a devotional and there's like a Bible study that you can do with a group. And so. is that something specific for infertility or is that someone, it's something anyone could use? No, anyone. Yeah. Okay. Everyone should do it. It's yeah. awesome. Like, and you'll see you'll, it kind of like teaches your brain to look for the good. And so, um, you know, I would have days like something would happen. I'd be like, oh, I got to remember that so I can write that down tomorrow. Um, so it's really, it, it just like teaches your brain to look for the good instead of the bad. Because there's yeah. plenty of bad that you could find. But sometimes sure. you have to dig for the good. Especially right now. I think that's something that could be beneficial for everyone as we're all stuck in this season of uncertainty and stress. You know, people losing their jobs and quarantine, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that sounds like a really great um, devotional. Um, is there anything else on your heart that you want to share about infertility that you would want people to know? Yes. I want to share my shirt. Uh -huh. Um, 
So the symbol for infertility is the pineapple that uh-huh. a lot of people don't know that. And then my shirt just says I'm um, the one in eight. And so one in every eight women experience infertility, which like, that's a lot. I mean, you yeah. could have like eight best friends. So that means like one of you are going to experience it. Yeah. And um, the pineapple is just like, you have to have a tough exterior mm. um, to go through IVF or t- to go through infertility period. Um, but then like your desire to be a mom is still sweet, like inside. Um, so I don't think that many people like know that. Yeah. I had um, no idea. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I will link all of these resources that Brianna is sharing in the show notes. So you can find those, the book, uh, you, you'll send me the link for the shirt. Um, cause you had someone make, somebody made that shirt yeah. and, um, yeah, I think that is all really fantastic. And I, I hope that, I hope that women that aren't struggling were also listening just because I feel like this has given me so much insight to, to come alongside. Cause that's such a great point. One in eight women. I know so many women. So to think one in eight, um, it's, it's really eye opening. Um, and to, to be sensitive to that and to love them and, and, and come alongside of them. So if you want to follow Brianna and her journey to becoming a mom and, and, and getting her baby, you can find her on Facebook. She has a Facebook page designated for her journey. It's called Completing the Missing Piece to Our Family, The Journey to Baby Spain. And I will link that in the show notes. You can find her on Instagram at BB Spain. And um, thank you so much for your courage and your bravery to step out, you know, and, and to be vulnerable and share this for women who are both going through it and who just want to educate themselves um, on the process. And you can find me at Tira Wages. Um, please go and leave a review on Apple podcasts and thank you so much for being here for this bonus episode in honoring these women and, and educating ourselves, you know, um, because we, we don't get it. Um, we don't understand what this specific struggle looks like. So thank you so much for, for sharing, you know, that with us. Um, and life is a little crazy. And there are days that you feel a little crazy, especially when you don't know the right thing to say, but you are not alone. I get it. And especially if you feel empty, I get it. You are not alone. Be happy and love each other.